Welcome to the Software Lifecycle Stories podcast. We bring you stories of what worked and sometimes what did not in the course of discovering, designing, developing, delivering and using software-based solutions as shared by practitioners who went through these situations. We continue our theme of conversations with women associated with IT in this episode as well. Today, my guest is Vandana Malaya, whose career has seen roles in hardware, embedded systems, setting up team and organization level processes, setting up a startup venture and being involved in a social venture, as well as senior leadership roles in the corporate environment. Vandana shares her perspectives on the need and opportunities to keep on learning, adopting standards and consistent adherence to outcomes, how economic and governmental systems can help or hinder startup aspirations, balancing career and family aspirations with support from her husband, physical and emotional challenges for women after 50, supporting girls and women become successful, and her tips on some of the typical challenges faced by all startups. Listen on. Hi, Vandana. Welcome to this episode of the Software Lifecycle Stories. I'm happy that uh, you could make time in your busy schedule. I know that you're involved in a lot of activities. And we will, as usual, start with uh, a brief introduction. If you can do that, explaining your background in terms of career interests and all that, we can take it forward from there. Sure. So, uh, uh, hi, Shiv. Uh, first of all, thanks for inviting me for this uh, podcast. This is my first, so I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I started uh, working in the IT industry in the mid-80s. And uh, this was after graduating from Bits uh, uh, Pilani in electron- electrical and electronics engineering. So I started as a hardware engineer. And therein, uh, for almost 32 years, continued uh, with the industry in various uh, roles uh, in various parts of the industry. So I started with hardware, moved on to embedded software, then uh, did a stint on implementing quality processes. This was the first in the country. And then uh, set up my own enterprise, uh, which uh, where we were doing both uh, software products development, as well as uh, providing services. And subsequently, after uh, we sold that off, moved to a software services company, and then uh, about a year and a half back, I decided to move to the social sector. So currently, I work primarily in the social sector, but uh, also do some amount of uh, uh, consulting work, especially in helping my old clients and outsourcing in India. So that's uh, kind of a brief on the work front. On personal front, uh, I'm married, have a son and who's working now. So more or less uh, uh, handled that part of the responsibility also. I live in Bangalore. Yeah, wonderful. It's interesting that uh, you started your career in hardware because in the very first episode, I was talking about how I wanted to get into hardware. And um, another friend of mine got me into software and then our careers actually crossed. He became a hardware person and I became a software person. So what was the shift like from hardware to embedded? That's probably one step closer to software and then getting into software. 
So I think the shift, as you said, from hardware to embedded was uh, perhaps quite seamless because even as a part of doing the hardware design, uh, we normally had to interact a lot with uh, the folks who were uh, doing the embedded software for uh, uh, the boards that we were designing. And we were continuously, literally working together on a single team uh, to be able to get there. So uh, that transition uh, was, I think, uh, fairly simple. However, uh, the transition to software where, uh, you know, as I mentioned, we always were working on production. The initial years, uh, most of it was product development. Uh, the uh, shift to the software uh, from embedded was, uh, I would say, a little difficult. It was, uh, uh, you know, relearning the languages that we were using at that point in time uh, completely. We did have some exposure on that in uh, the uh, college. But after that, one had not uh, programmed uh, in anything but uh, uh, assembly and so on and so forth. Uh, also, to get uh, eventually used to the integrated environment, I think it uh, took a while. I, I very, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> vividly remember the struggle that we had when we started learning C and then eventually also moved to C, C++, from C to C++. Uh, both were transitions which were interesting um, uh, in terms of uh, relearning the whole thing. And uh, one of the lessons that taught uh, uh, me, I would say, and I, I'm sure a lot of people uh, resonate with this, is that the IT uh, industry, the software field has uh, uh, transformed so rapidly and so often that uh, it becomes uh, imperative that one keeps on learning uh, something uh, new uh, while use the learning of the past, but more or less you are starting afresh. And, uh, and that's the beauty of it all. Because I'm sure there is a lot more discipline in hardware development. Because once you finalize a design, when it goes into production, it's not probably very easy to make changes. So when you said that you also moved into a quality process role and that two being the first, how did that transition happen? Were your standards very high that you know, the teams would cry or were you more accommodative and understanding? No, I, I <laughs> so I think you know I I have not uh, ever been labeled as soft, so I wish uh, that was the case when I look back. But uh, um, the the first of all, you know, uh, moving into the uh, standards was something which happened because uh, we felt that it was a need uh, for the industry. Uh, when when the company that I was working for was DCM Data Products, and uh, we decided that we will adopt ISO 9001 practices. Frankly, there was uh, just about one consultant that we could find in the country, uh, Dr. Prakash Mitale, who could help guide us on the processes. But uh, other than that, we had no clues how to do you know uh, development with proper software engineering practices. Those days in college, we were not taught, at least I was not taught, and I believe most of my peers who were either from IITs or WITS uh, were not taught uh, adequate amount of software engineering practices in the college. So the whole learning process came to us through the fact that we have to do much better in the industry and with our product development, both hardware and software. Uh, and there, thereby we started looking at the ISO 9001 implementation. Now, 
we i think landed up being a lot more rigid or uh, uh, the whole team uh, which was implementing the practices because it was absolutely new and uh, we uh, did not know where one could uh, um, give leeway to the folks uh, to not be so stringent about it or and where we should be necessarily stringent to see the outcomes that we were expecting so i would say initial few years were Uh, being very uh, stubborn about what need to be followed, and then over the years when we started understanding much better, I think uh, from a standards point of view, when we started understanding much better, we started uh, relaxing uh, out a little in areas, and also there was flexibility which came in because of uh, the way um, we, uh, you know the whole thing went uh, online, different practices came into place, and so on and so forth. But initial years, I would say I was pretty. Um, Talk about it. Nowadays, many process people start you know, using the word outcome. Also, you talked about it. it's interesting that uh, when you started out, you did mention that now you are looking at outcomes and getting the whole team involved. When people talk about agile or getting the team involved and all that, I guess uh, that comes naturally. And uh, what you've done seems to indicate that now you've gone about it in a more inclusive way. So, is that? one of the reasons why you said you also had your own company you started something uh, yeah i um, so <laughs> first on uh, this inclusive i think being a, a person who had gone through a few years of hardware engineering embedded software and software before i looked into quality helped a lot in gaining uh, the confidence of the engineers uh, that i was working with uh, and uh, you know making them understand or help understand why it was necessary to fo- follow the processes and we were also able to tweak the processes uh, to suit their uh, requirements so i i think that uh, whole uh, background knowledge and and i think over the years uh, and i did come back and do this role again when i joined ibm my uh, you know my um, advice to people had been that they need to have a proper stint in the de- development cycle before they start advising people on quality a uh, role of jumping directly into quality uh, was something that i have never been in favor of so and that that continued coming to setting up my own i think that was a different ball game my um, uh, i come from a business family and my interest in uh, getting started on my own was uh, right from the college days Uh, however uh, while i discussed this uh, perpetually with uh, my batchmates and uh, then some of my peers in uh, my first job uh, i did not find any interested partners and uh, so when i moved to, and, and and when i wanted to start up on my own uh, i think the environment in delhi where i was working was not conducive for a woman uh, to start off uh, i you know there were kind of uh, challenges which uh, perhaps uh, people in bangalore would never even uh, comprehend including wondering why i was coming for a loan those days uh, venture capital was not possible so uh, the approach was to take a loan so uh, being questioned on whether i was trying to seek a loan for my husband uh, or uh, whether i was uh, you know uh, really somebody who could uh, go out and if i had to travel in the night i would manage to do that and things like that i think quite a lot of uh, what i would call not not so fair or uh, um, sensible questions uh, asked uh, so that kind of uh, made me decide 
uh, and by that time i had got married and i had my child uh, that uh, uh, but delhi was not the place uh, to start the business however when i moved to bangalore uh, and i had expressed this whole thing with my peers when i was joining uh, very fun and those time the what they were my inter- interviewers that uh, the whole objective for me is uh, to move to the city and eventually i'd like to set up my business i think things start started happening very quickly and uh, again one of the lessons that i learned in that process was that if you share your dream uh, then you know <laughs> the world will conspire to make it happen uh, so starting off uh, of the business was more a long term dream which uh, got uh, materialized uh, with my peers from very phone and uh, since the interest was product development we actually started off uh, uh, with uh, the mindset that we would do product development while we all understood that some amount of services will have to be introduced for us to sustain the business uh, and that made us choose product development as the services that we would provide uh, initially and, and uh, we we did some other work also but that was uh, the primary goal interesting and uh... you know whatever you mentioned actually triggers uh, you know multiple questions we'll see how many i can ask now the first is um, you did talk about the challenges that you faced in delhi as a woman entrepreneur uh, do you think that the situation has changed since then about delhi i don't know shiv because i never be- went back and tried to do something in delhi um i don't know if the mindsets of the people have changed much there but uh, the induction of a lot of venture capital uh, in the market i think does make a difference uh, to anybody who's looking at starting up okay so what would be your uh, you know, guidance for somebody who is wanting to start up particularly women what kind of resources are there in bangalore or uh, can they approach you for some guidance uh uh-huh. yeah so they can certainly approach me for uh, guidance so uh, you, you know today uh, when i look at bangalore especially i think uh, the play field is same whether it's for women or men i think women uh, deal with challenges which are very different at home which have to be addressed uh, by them and then uh, at the workplace uh i think as a city we should take a lot of credit in the fact that by and large uh, women uh, and men don't get uh, distinguished to at least in my opinion don't get distinguished too much when it uh, comes to comes to the workplace uh, when you go to seek uh, venture capital there might be questions uh, which get asked more for the person who's funding you to ascertain that uh, the money is uh, going to be fruitfully used towards the purpose and you are in the game for long run and your uh, personal challenges are not going to bog you down i think uh, so there might be questioning which i have uh, heard from and read uh, about uh, where women uh, feel that uh, they have been discriminated against when it come to came to venture capital uh because they were women i think it's it's you know anybody who's going to give you money is going to ensure that it is going to be used correctly and so uh the questioning unless it is done without empathy i guess is uh, okay one of the things which most uh, people forget uh, i i i guess or let me put it as 
it is important that when we are going to set up, uh, we look at um, a good team. Uh, trying to set up on your own uh, sometimes can be challenging. While that might be only option uh, at, at times, but uh, ideally, uh, it is good if there is a team uh, which is uh, uh, in place where you share a lot of confidence. So one of the pluses for me when we set up uh, Eximsoft was the fact that uh, it was set up with peers where we already had a lot of uh, bonding as well as a trust uh, amongst the partners. And that makes it extremely easy to uh, tide through the rough patches. So I would say that is more important. And uh, if your idea is good, if uh, uh, you have passion about what you are doing, I think funds will follow today. Yeah, that's very reassuring. Uh, you did mention, uh, you know, one was the question you were asked about whether you want a loan for your husband. And later on, you also mentioned that uh, women have additional pressures to balance at home and work. Uh, how have you been managing? <laughs> okay, good one. So, first of all, I think I have always been very career focused. And uh, so that meant that whatever else was happening in my life, that part I was not willing to give up at all. So, you know, it is like it's a high priority and I'm going to do it. Uh, so then uh, you start working around that fact. Uh, initial years, uh, uh, I, I, and none of the cities that I've lived in I had any of my family members. So the family support uh, being possible was not there. However, uh, I, uh, I think over years, my husband uh, realized that uh, I am career oriented and he started helping quite a bit. So uh, while we did hire help uh, to, uh, you know, help me with uh, the child uh, and uh, I left him at crash, when we were traveling, we had to make sure that only one of us was traveling so that uh, uh, somebody was there to take care of uh, my son. And uh, I think that was one big balance to do. Uh, second one was, uh, you know, be flexible. I don't think one needs to have the cleanest home all the time or have to have all kinds of dishes on the table all the time. I think throughout we were comfortable with uh, a minim minimalistic approach uh, to uh, the food part and uh, uh, use the weekends more to get uh, set right uh, things. So there was a lot of discipline that came in uh, over, over years uh, where we started focusing that uh, the time which we have has to at home has to go to the child. And that is the focus, not really the other things. And this to me was a big learning. Uh, uh, you know, uh, also, I think talked to me by one of my seniors uh, where I used to be a perfectionist uh, with somebody wanting to have the house looking like a museum all the time. And uh, um, this person kind of uh, just uh, sat me through and talked me out of it completely saying, this is not what your priority is today. Your work and your child is your priority. So if you keep only two priorities, you are going to do a better job at it. And uh, I think throughout that has been the case that we have uh, both uh, have, husband and wife have been involved uh, with uh, balancing each other and uh, uh, adjusting to the priorities that the other had uh, so that 
we could both move forward in our careers. Mm, that's that's interesting as well. Uh, in fact, one of the themes that I want to explore in some future episodes is about uh, IT couples. So we'll get back to you and your husband in one of the future episodes. <laughs> sure, look forward to that. Okay, as a side question, uh, with the both of you being in IT, did that have an influence on your son choosing his career? <laughs> Uh, yes, it did have a negative influence on him choosing his career. <laughs> so, um, especially towards the later part. So when he was going through his teenage, I think uh, the industry had moved uh, from uh, uh, being a nine to five industry to being a 24 by seven uh, industry. And so uh, there was, uh, uh, you know, the usual, uh, if you're working for the US clients, or even sometimes for the Europe, uh, European clients, you are on calls uh, even in the evening and the late night. Um, so a lot of uh, the times uh, we would be at home, but would still be on calls uh, till late. And I think uh, that was something which uh, uh, just did not appeal to my son, who is more or less an outdoor person. And uh, so when he was looking at making a career choice, he was clear about what he was not going to do. I mean, you know, other side is his passion, which he has finally pursued. But he was very clear that he did not want life uh, sitting in front of a computer and uh, uh, phone running all the time. So for him, that was a deciding factor of not looking at the IT industry at all. Yeah, I see that trend. Now, many youngsters are very, very clear about their priorities, which is good. So what... Um, helped you or made you switch to the social sector? Uh, I think, Shiv, again, it has to do with uh, uh, where you come from in some sense. So uh, I, I talked to you about varieties. A, a lot of uh, what I did in my life, I think, has been influenced by a workshop that I attended on time management some 22, 23 years back. And uh, that uh, got me focused on to uh, prioritization, prioritizing what I would work on uh, when. And so um, over the years, as, as uh, you know, time passed by, I wanted to go back and start looking at social uh, sector, primarily because I came from a background where the family had done a lot of work in terms of uh, building school, hospital, and, uh, you know, orphanage, etc. So... And I had never been able to give back to the society. My only give back had been perhaps paying fees for some kids who needed that help, uh, which obviously, as you know, is, uh, you know, just satisfying yourself, but it really doesn't make any other difference. So uh, when I, uh, I, 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 I knew I had to, uh, you know, look for a, a change. Fifties is not an easy time for women. Uh, uh, and there are a lot of uh, hormonal changes that are going through, which, uh, which I would say is a subject which uh, I have now started speaking about a little more, primarily because I think uh, the industry also should have, uh, like they have for maternity, uh, a provision. They should have a provision for helping women deal with uh, the changes that happened during the early 50s. Um, but uh, when I was uh, uh, looking at taking uh, a break or moving to something uh, less uh, um, less strenuous, 
I think it became clear to me that ideally I would go into the social sector. Now, my first few months when I was deliberating quitting, I went in searching what I would do because um, it is not easy to find um, the area in which you want to work because you really don't know what you will enjoy. In my case, one thing was clear that uh, I wanted to do something to with the women and the girl child. Uh, primarily because uh, for last 20 years or so, I have been involved with working on advancement of women in the workplace. And that was kind of something that I was very, very passionate about. So I said, I need to work uh, in, in the space. And uh, then I started uh, talking to people and uh, um, figured out, uh, um, you know, to a couple of venues where I could uh, work in the space. Uh, so today I am extensively working with uh, Home for a Girl Child and uh, where I'm also a trustee and the secretary. I also work with the school that they have, uh, helping them with uh, some of their operational activities. And uh, work with a couple of other organizations which are working with the rural uh, women population uh, for uh, making uh, them self-employed or employable. And these are not necessarily IT or IT related, right? None of these are IT related. No, none of these are IT related. Okay. I, I do remain connected with the IT world through my consulting assignments though. Okay. Yeah. But then one thing which um, I'm trying to combine multiple things that you mentioned. Uh, no, one was that the IT industry moving from a nine to five to a 24 seven kind of a model, at least in terms of demands on time. And probably that is uh, particularly more applicable for startups in the initial stages when you need to have your initial paying customers and all that. What would be your you know, tips or guidance or whatever startups can look at to encourage women in the workplace, including some things that you mentioned as the company grows, as they grow in responsibility and as they age and some of the other you know, physical needs that they have. Uh, how do you think the startups can look at this? Uh, so I think there are two challenges that startups have. One you just mentioned, which is, uh, you know, how do you make sure that uh, the revenue keeps coming in? But the second one is also to do with finding the right talent. And uh, uh, I think uh, when, when it uh, comes to, especially uh, with women, there is huge amount of talent which is sitting uh, uh, in the industry, uh, which has uh, given up work primarily because uh, they are not able to cope up uh, with the ex demands of uh, working at night or, you know, odd hours um, and, and inability to balance that much. I mean, so I, I think most people, uh, most women who have been working are in a position to uh, give six to eight hours or even 10 hours to an organization, uh, maybe from home, some maybe from office, uh, but uh, in a balance of two, they would be able to give it. So I think the startups should positively look at uh, leveraging the strength that sits today uh, in the workforce uh, in terms of uh, women who have uh, who are also in the workforce but have some some might have left the workforce uh, and taken a gap of uh, a year or two and uh, are looking at coming back but they are looking at coming back on their 
terms in some cases, which might be more like I will leave office every day at five o'clock, <clears throat> and which is perfectly okay, right? Because I think uh, over years when I have worked uh, even in IBM, when we used to work with uh, women, I think I was comfortable. They should be there in the office in the morning. 3.30, many of them left because the children would be back home. And they would log in again at uh, 5.36 after having you know spent some time with the children, maybe work another uh, two to three hours uh, or, or as was required. So that's not a challenge. I think it's only the mindset one has to, to tweak uh, yourself uh, into this uh, uh, working model that women require. I don't know an answer for the other question that you asked, uh, Shiv, right? Uh, so um, uh, the, the 50s and uh, the requirements uh, which uh, women might have. And, and uh, you know, is, is uh, something which is not just the startups, but it's the whole industry that uh, perhaps has to start looking at it. Because uh, uh, it mostly it will be women at very senior positions um, uh, who would go through it. Uh, I was at a, a workshop just a couple of days back, and I understand that is only one percent uh, representation of women in the leadership in the country today. Uh, which means that from thirty percent, uh, it goes down to one percent by the time it reaches the uh, CXO level. And if one has to look at, uh, uh, you know, improving this ratio uh, for the talent that those women bring, then I, we have to have uh, mechanisms which will help them cope through their 50s much better and continue in the workplace or get back to the workplace once they have, uh, you know, got over the issues. So I would say it is the whole industry that has to work on this. Yeah. Uh, see, I was more uh, interested in knowing many of these initiatives, which is around women empowerment or you know, helping them build or regain their confidence and all that, all are focused on women, which is needed and they need it. But what about the empathy for the colleagues or the men who also need to understand what women go through and how to support them? Sure, sure. So business idea for anyone who wants to pick it up. And, and I've been deliberating on this also a lot. So um, I think uh, you actually got it on the nail. But today, uh, the need um, both um, in terms of the workplace as well as for parents who are raising uh, kids, um, I think there is a need to build an empathy in the male child uh, and in the males in the organization, as much as one is working on uh, the women empowerment. So my current observation is that uh, our girls have become very smart. They are uh, intelligent. They have had the same opportunity now for some time, sort of for, for the last few years, as uh, were given to the boys in the family. And uh, so they are coming out with flying colors. But when uh, they start looking at uh, uh, either bosses who are empathetic, uh, many times they don't uh, get that. And that uh, brings in the delusionment of uh, the workplace. Uh, so both at home and, and when they get married, uh, obviously, if they don't find a partner who is equally supportive and uh, uh, giving them an equal helping hand at home, uh, then uh, balancing the work and uh, um, home becomes a problem uh, and, and they tend to give up one. 
uh, and I'm really meaning then to give up one. Uh, so I think uh, today, if somebody uh, sets up uh, a business <laughs> which is working with uh, uh, men in organizations on training them how to handle basics at home, then I think many of their spouses would be able to continue uh, to work and they would bring in much better empathy to the workplace for the women who are working in their teams or uh, with them uh, in understanding the challenges they might be going on at home. So I, I, I think uh, a very much required shift, uh, absolutely on the dot. Yeah, good that someone else also thinks alike. Maybe we'll find something to do in the future. Yeah. Uh, the last question that I had triggered by you know, the conversation that we had so far is um, the social sector and the philanthropic of the activities that you are involved in. Do you also encourage them to become entrepreneurs? Yes. Okay. Um, so as I said, I am working on two segments. So one of uh, the segments where I work with the rural women, uh, the whole focus has been to help them become entrepreneurs. And uh, uh, this uh, has its own challenges. And uh, uh, so now with one group I've been working for over a year and a half, uh, that was the first group I started with. Um, the rural sector I mean, has a long way to go when it comes to women empowerment as compared to uh, what the software industry has seen. So many of these women, while they are trained, they are capable, are very, very keen uh, to go ahead and uh, you know, contribute uh, and uh, be on their own feet. The cycles that they follow for work is when nothing else is required at home. And uh, that is not uh, something which uh, uh, can run a business. So I, I you know, went ahead, uh, helped them create self-help groups, trained them on how to uh, run the business, how to uh, get the business, deliver it, uh, productize what they were making, and, uh, and so on and so forth. But what I found is that that capability to consistently deliver uh, uh, orders on time uh, is something that is very dependent on whether there was something else that was required to be done at home. A wedding comes up, you'll find some people will, will vanish. Uh, there is a festival season. Uh, they all want to take vacation and so on and so forth. So it's a different ballgame, not that it cannot be done. And if uh, the self-help group leader is very, very strong, they are still able to figure out and manage. Uh, but uh, it is not the same as uh, IT industry here. Mm. Yeah, nowadays, I think there is this classification called the lifestyle business, where you will be intense, but then you also want your breaks. I don't know whether this is uh, called lifestyle business because here it is uh, more to do with the surroundings, uh, their environment in which they are really because they are, they are from very, very uh, backward uh, areas or uh, underprivileged background. Okay. So priorities are very different. Mm. 
So good that there are still areas to contribute. Uh, while some sectors, like probably you know, education or this thing, is uh, overcrowded in one sense, where a lot of corporates, everybody wants to do pretty much the same thing. But I guess these are all areas where really attention is needed. Uh, yes, but I would say education in the city perhaps uh, has uh, a lot of uh, support and help uh, from the corporate uh, as we go out uh, away from the cities and uh, start hitting the rural areas, even outskirts of Bangalore. I think there's a lot more that uh, corporates can still do because uh, children do need role models and uh, the more they see of the role models engaging, I will say more regularly and frequently, not uh, just come once, have a picnic, uh, you know, uh, uh, or, or uh, show for the children and go away. I think it has to be a more uh, consistent, uh, frequent uh, engagement uh, to take them through, uh, you know, their journey in their schools and uh, get the aspirations uh, kindled so that they can emulate these guys who are coming from the corporate world over a period of time. Mm, that's a very valid point. So, yeah, thanks a lot, Vandana. I think in a little over half an hour, we covered so many points and uh, we just probably touched the tip of some of them. Uh, as I said, hope to have you back uh, with your husband in a future episode. Sure, sure. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And if there are any questions, we'll pass them on to you. Sure, and, absolutely. Look forward to that. Yeah. Thanks once again, Madhana. Thanks, sir. If you like the show and would like to share your experiences with the community or know someone else who might want to do that, please get in touch with us at podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com. That is podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com. Please rate the show on Podchaser, Stitcher, iTunes or any other podcast client that you find us on. Please also share our episodes with your friends and others in your network. If you or anyone you know would like to be featured on our show, do write to us at this email address podcasts at pm-powerconsulting.com.